Hi, I'm Jason Hoy, lead pastor of Cedar Crest Bible Fellowship Church. I just wanted to thank you for listening to our sermons. We are located in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and our mission is to glorify the triune God by exalting Him, edifying and equipping His church, and evangelizing the world with His gospel. Visit cedarcrest.church to learn more about who we are and what we believe. Now I'm going to read Matthew 5, 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Forget about the original preaching schedule. I thought I was going to handle the Beatitudes in two Sundays. We're only doing one this morning. But it is a very important one. One that I have learned a lot from the folks that I have read and studied. A lot of this is not original with me, and I was sharpened this week, and I hope you will be as well. My prayer has been... And it usually is every morning, make me the meekest man on the face of the earth. But driving in this morning, I was thinking to myself, I need to pray even further than that. Pray that this would be the meekest church on the face of the earth. So Lord, do your work. Do your work this morning. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, I said that the kingdom of God is totally opposite of the world's way. The world's way of selfish thinking and sinful living. This morning's beatitude is not any different. You know this. We live in a world that says, look out for number one. Put yourself forward. Be aggressive. Be assertive. Make your own way in life because only the powerful and the proud make their mark on this world. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. And you can take over the world. That's the air we breathe as a culture. Yell louder and protest longer for your own selfish rights, no matter the cost, because you should take pride in yourself, exert your power to get your way. In this world. That's the spirit of the age, gang. And it's not just the spirit of the age today. Imagine yourselves back in Jesus' day. Put yourself in the shoes of the Jews who were listening to this sermon. How shocking, how shocking it would have been to the ears of a proud Pharisee who thought that they were the experts in the law of God. They knew exactly what the Messiah who was to come into the world was going to be like. And I'm sure they thought that He would be accepting of our teachings and affirming our ways and He would expect us and ask us to be His spiritual and political advisors who will mainly put Israel 
back on top of the world by force. Like the Old Testament. Wasn't much different than the average Jew who thought the same thing about the coming Messiah who is going to be a mighty military king like David, conquer the Romans, and of course, bless us and be nice to us, the Jews. Then you had the zealots. They were the Jewish military arm. They wanted to resist by force. They wanted to take back their kingdom. And they expected the coming Messiah to come and finally do it once and for all. So whichever group you're talking about, none of them saw the real Messiah coming. They didn't see the real Messiah coming, especially the first time around. They were expecting Him to come, exert His military and His might, conquer the world for the Jewish nation. So in their minds, here is what the kingdom of God was all about. Military might and materialism. Military might and materialism. Now, flash forward to our day. I wonder if that mindset has crept into the American church just a little bit in this way. Because I've heard people say, you know what we need? We need another Billy Graham to rise up and take this country back. Along along with Christian political organizations to rally together and push back the enemies of our faith. And I want you to hear me. I have nothing against God raising up evangelists to preach the Gospel. I pray He raises up more. I have nothing against Christian organizations who are trying to fight back the evil ways of this world and influence it for the glory of God. But here is what I don't want the Christians and the church to lose. Namely, verse 16. Look at it. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what our Master is all about. Now, why do I say that? Here's what I mean. The number one way we are going to glorify God in this world and influence this world for the glory of God is when the Christians in the church live out the Sermon on the Mount. Not just one Billy Graham or parachurch organizations rising up and exerting their might and pushing over the unbelievers. That's not our King's way. The one who came into the world and taught, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is huge. This is a huge teaching. And so my aim in the sermon is to get underneath and around and ask the question, what does that mean? What does that really mean to be meek? And then, I want to beg God to give it to us. To make us, every single one in this room, meek for the glory of God. So here's what I think it means. I'll give you a taste. Then we'll unpack the Scriptures to see if it's so. It means... 
the opposite of the proud and the powerful and the assertive conquering this world. It means the humble and the gentle and the selfless and the trusting and the non-defensive and the slow to anger Christian will own this world. That's what it means. And I want to show you this by taking you through a mini-tour of the Bible. Gang, the idea of meekness is shot through the Scriptures. It's all over the place. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to define it for you. And then I want to take you back to Psalm 37 because Jesus, He's actually quoting and alluding to and drawing from Psalm 37 in this beatitude. And I think that this psalm will give us a few characteristics to help us understand what a meek person really looks like. And then, we're going to look at Moses. The meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. And then we're going to jump ahead to the book of James. The book of James that describes a meek person. Then we'll talk about, we'll wrap this whole thing up in a nice little bow and talk about what meekness is. And then I want to talk about what meekness is not because I think a lot of people are confused. So here we go. The Beatitude. Let's jump in here. Let's read it again. Chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount and He says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is a little bit of review and reminder. Remember, these are called Beatitudes. Beatitudes means blessings from God. From God. Remember, I said to you, this is not some kind of general, impersonal, maybe true, maybe not true, blessing from who knows where and whoever. This is a personal blessing from our Father. Yahweh, Jehovah, God of the Bible. He is personally, personally blessing people. This is very important. Blessing people who have these inward qualities after he's converted. And I want to hammer this again and again and again because the tendency might be for you to think that I've got to meet these qualifications. I've got to meet these conditions in order to be a Christian. That's not true. That's not true. Remember how I said the Sermon on the Mount is set upon the Gospel foundation. Even in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, Jesus has come into the world to save His people from their sins by dying on the cross for their sins and taking them away. And then in chapter 3, He came to baptize people with the Holy Spirit, meaning the new birth, giving the Spirit so He indwells And when that happens, He makes a dead spiritually person spiritually alive. Where they believe and they repent and they live out the Sermon on the Mount. You cannot get this backwards. Or you might fall into despair like Martin Luther, the Reformer. When he read the Sermon on the Mount, before he was converted, listen to what he says. This word's too high! This word is too hard that anyone should fulfill it. This is proved, not merely by our Lord's Word, but by our own experience and feeling. Take any upright man or woman. He'll get along very nicely with those who don't provoke him. But let somebody proffer only the slightest irritation, and he will flare up in anger. If not against friends, then against enemies. Flesh and blood cannot rise above this. And then he discovered the Gospel, where Jesus set him free by faith alone, so that he could live out the Sermon on the Mount, to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. And brothers and sisters, 
This is where Jesus started in the Beatitudes. Do you remember? This is where He started. In verse 3, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Do you remember how I explained that? That means within this person's soul and in their heart, they feel it, they know it, that they are spiritually bankrupt before God. Like the tax collector who couldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his chest. He said, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. And God forgave him. And he went home justified. And then Jesus teaches the second beatitude in verse 4. And I want you to understand something. These beatitudes have a natural progression. Jesus never teaches anything willy-nilly. Goes all over the place. Goes down rabbit trails. Has nothing to do with His last thought. That's not our Lord. He's the perfect teacher. And so He goes from the poor in the Spirit, spiritually bankrupt before the Lord, has nothing to offer God except sin, guilt, and shame. And because of that, what does the sinner do next? Verse 4. He mourns. He mourns over his sin before a holy God who is perfect. And He is not. He knows it. And so He mourns over His sin. I'm lingering here. And I linger for a reason. Because if we're truly feeling the first two Beatitudes about ourselves, I truly believe that the Lord will produce more and more meekness in our hearts. Listen to Lloyd-Jones on this. Each one of these should drive us to more and more humility. The first beatitude confronts us that we've got to face God and His commandments and even this sermon. And if anybody feels that he, by his own strength, can accomplish these beatitudes or Christian living, has not started to be a Christian. But when he is poor in spirit and he sees the sin within himself, even in his best actions, thoughts, and desires, we mourn and cry with the great Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Only Jesus. Only Jesus can save us from ourselves and our sinful selfishness and turn us into selfless human beings. That's what I think meekness is all about. You see, the first two Beatitudes are meant to help us to see and recognize our true inward condition before God. So it has to do mainly with our relationship with Him. But meekness, meekness on the other hand, yes it is about our relationship before God as we live under Him and submit to Him. But it's also about our relationship with each other. And especially, I want you to hear this, after my study this week, when other people oppose us, we are called to be meek. And so I want to dive in here. I want to talk about being meek by asking the question, what does it mean? What does it mean? I'll give you the literal Greek meaning. It means to be mild, soft, Gentle and humble. And humble. Get the idea? <laughs> Want some more descriptors? So I think to drive this home a little bit right off the bat, I, I want to give you an illustration that might help you to think through this. 
the word was often used in extra-biblical Greek to describe a wild horse, a colt that was brought in and broken of its naturally wild spirit by a trainer would break that rebellious spirit. Can you picture the horse? Jumping and kicking, rebelling, pulling. But that trainer comes in. And he breaks it eventually. He works on it. breaks it down to the point where that horse comes under his control and his command. That horse submits. That horse obeys. That horse becomes gentle under its master instead of unruly. And now he's useful. To the master. Now, here's the question. Did that horse lose its strength? No. That horse did not lose its strength. But its strength was brought under the control of the trainer. And now meekness is its character. Now, you've got to think about a Christian. The same should be true of a Christian who's a little, I don't know about you, but I was a little wild at first. Were you a little unruly at first? Everybody usually is a little bit unruly at first, right? But then when our trainer comes into our lives through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, He works on us and He works on us and He works on us and He works on our rebellious spirits and He breaks us down as we come before Him and see His holiness and we own the sin that's within us and we take it to Him and we say, thank You for dying and taking it away and giving me the Spirit to be able to kill this thing and to become more and more obedient, submissive. That's meekness. That's meekness. And here's what happens when we become more and more meek. We trust Him more. We trust Him more. We fight back less. We're not as defensive we're reasonable. We're quick to listen. We're slow to speak. Sound familiar? It's all meekness. It's all meekness. So I want to show you all of that from Psalm 37. So turn there. Psalm 37. Now we're going to go to Moses and we're going to go to James. This should give us a good start on what meekness looks like. This is what the Lord Jesus alludes to in verse 5. It makes me feel a little funny a little bit because Jesus doesn't pull all of this out of here, but I'm wondering if he had Psalm 37, not just verse 11, in his mind when he was talking about this because the whole, or the whole psalm, I should say, is about unbelievers and the evil people in the world eventually being cut off from the world, but the meek and patient will inherit the earth. Five times the psalmist says this. I think he really wants the believing meek to get this. So let's start at verse 5, read through verse 11. I'm not going to get terribly detailed about this. I just want to point out a couple of things that has to do with meekness. A lot of people pointed this out, and I'm glad they did. So here it is. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, 
He will not be there, but the meek. The meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Did you hear the beatitude? You hear it a little bit in verse 9? And then verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land. You can translate that, both Hebrew and Greek, as the earth. It's the same thing that the Lord is saying in the beatitude. So here's what I want to do. I want to see if there's anything in and around this psalm, especially in these verses that we just read, that, that's going to help us to understand what a meek person looks like. And I think there is, starting with verse 5, that says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. This is cool. The, the literal word for commit is to rule. Rule. So you could read that. Rule your way, or their way, to the Lord. By trusting Him. Here's how you do it. You rule everything in your life unto Him. You just roll it. Just roll it over onto Him. And trust Him. Trust Him because He promises to act on your behalf. In His way, in His time. But that doesn't mean He's not always working. He's always working, is He not? And He's always working for our good all the time. He is the sovereign Savior who is working all things for good and directing all the outcomes of our lives for our good end. So commit your way to Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. That's what a meek person will do. And in this context, David is dealing with the saint. He might be wrestling with the fact that it seems like evil people are winning. Prospering. Even when they treat the people of God horribly. They kill them. They persecute them. They take from the poor. They go against our values. And yet they seem to be fine. Living it up in luxury. They got good health. Business is booming. Even though they're steamrolling over the people of God. You ever experience any of this kind of thing from your unbelieving family members? Co-workers, people on social media seem to be bulldozing over the people of God and the values of the Bible. They seem to be winning. The tough, the arrogant, the proud, the boisterous. And yet here comes David. He says, listen, roll all of that onto the Lord. Commit your way, your thinking, your believing, your reactions Commit it to Him. Trust Him that He will act. He will act. And what action will He do? You see it in verses 2, 9, and 10. He will take them out. Eventually. Unless they repent. I want everybody to repent. But look at verse 2. For they will soon fade like the grass, wither like the green herb. Verse 9. For the evildoers shall be cut off. In just a little while, verse 10, the wicked will be no more. You will look carefully at his place and he will not be there. But you will be, saint of God. You will be. If you're truly a saint and you're trusting in God and you're committing your way to him, you will inherit the world. The psalmist says five times. So chillax, as my wife says. <laughs> Chill out, relax. Don't get so bent out of shape. So angry. 
So worried. I think, I think that's behind the meekness as we lead up to it in verse 11. Remember what we said before, meekness. Doesn't have to fight back for our own rights in a sinful way. Like murdering these evildoers right now. Take them back to land. How dare they do this to me? That's not meekness. So we ask, what is it? Continue to ask, what is it? So we've already seen that meek people commit their way to the Lord, their thoughts, their beliefs, their frustrations, their responses. And then they trust God to act on their behalf so we don't have to because we'll take care of it. God will take care of us. And God will take care of every problem and frustration that comes our way, gang. So here, I think, is the message. Do not take matters into your own hands. Leads to another two characteristics that we see in this psalm. Namely, verse 7. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. You don't have to act sinfully. And selfishly in response, fight for my rights. Because these people know that He's going to take care of it. Which means, verse 7, I don't have to fret. I don't have to worry about the wicked prospering. And then in verse 8, I don't have to get angry and vengeful and retaliate. I can rest calmly in the sovereign command and rule of God over the affairs of my life and over the affairs of the world. Brothers and sisters, even when the world is erupting in absolute chaos and evil, God is in control. He's in control. And that spoke to me. Even as I thought about the Satan club, I'm glad it's gone. We rise up. We push it away for the glory of God and for the good of the people in that area. But if it comes back, don't get sinfully angry. Don't lash out in a sinful way because God in His time will deal with it. Somebody said the meek wait patiently and quietly to see how God's power and goodness will work things out. So the setbacks and the obstacles and the opponents of life do not produce the kind of bitterness and anger and fretfulness that is so common among men. So the meek commit their way to God. The meek trust God. The meek will trust that He will act on their behalf. The end will definitely show this. So we can be patient. Not worried. Not sinfully angry. But I want to see it firsthand. I want to see it firsthand. So turn back to Numbers 12. Moses the meek. That's what we'll call him. Moses the meek. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken through us also? The Lord heard it. That's a massive statement. (laughs) Now the man Moses was very meek 
more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, this is scary, come out. (laughs) Could you imagine? Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. Now, it goes on to say that the Lord was very angry with Miriam and Aaron. Why? Because it's the Lord who makes a man a prophet. It's the Lord. And Moses was not just an ordinary prophet because the Lord spoke with him mouth to mouth, he said. And so he asked those two, why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? In other words, you should have been afraid. I called him. I called him to be my superior and authoritative prophet. And so it says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And then he departed. And then he inflicted Miriam with leprosy. Now, what's going on here? What's going on here? And what about this situation that prompts Moses, and this is kind of funny, he wrote this by, he wrote this, you know, about himself. Get it? Maybe you'll get it when you get home. He wrote this about himself, being the meekest man on the face of the earth. Anyway, why does he insert this right here? What about, that's what I'm asking, what about this situation that he puts it right here, it makes him meek? So here's what I think, and many think this. Miriam and Aaron came against Moses with opposition, challenging him and his authority. This has nothing about marrying a Cushite woman. That's just a cover-up. Just nitpicking. This is really about him being the supreme prophet that the Lord was using. And he was being challenged. But notice how he responds or doesn't respond. He doesn't respond. Now it might help we see in the text that the Lord responds right away. But you notice, Moses doesn't say a word. Not a word. Just when you would think, a man like this, with his calling and his authority, given by God, what would I do? I would rise up right now. I'd give them what for. I would defend myself and I would call fire down on them. And he doesn't do it. The question's why. Why doesn't Moses do it? He doesn't do it because he committed his way to the Lord. And he trusted the Lord to vindicate him. The Lord will deal with it. So he refused to defend himself. He let this roll right off of his back. And so here again we see another paint stroke in our portrait of meekness. Committing our way to the Lord. Trusting Him to act. Leads to patiently waiting for Him to work out all things for our good. And that means we don't have to get angry. We don't have to lash back. We don't have to get all defensive and justify ourselves. That's not the meek person. He will leave vindication to God. He'll just absorb it. He'll absorb the blows and let the blows roll off of his back. Somebody likened likened it to this. I think it's a good analogy. Picture in your mind a punching bag. Right? Bam, 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 bam. Guy's just hitting it. Absorbs the blow. Goes back to its original form. Versus a glass statue. Somebody smacks that and they blow apart in anger and worry. 
because they're not trusting. Not trusting God. So I took that to heart. I thought, oh, Lord, make me more like a punching bag. They could just, ooh, ooh, ooh. I'll be okay. Just roll it off, roll it off instead of just glass statue. As soon as anything comes my way, any kind of opposition or frustration or obstacle, smack, I burst. Lord, help us. That's Moses. Meekest man on the face of the earth. Now let's turn to James. Going from one end of the Bible to the other. <laughs> There's other verses that actually talk about meekness, but we won't have time to talk about all of them. I believe this is James chapter 1. We're going to start there. We're going to look at James chapter 1 and then James chapter 3 briefly. So verses 19 through 21. And I want you to notice something. He mentions three, maybe four things about a meek person. However, the first two go together, and if we're not careful with the text, we will miss it. Namely, we are to receive meekly the Word of God and be teachable, not defensive. 19-21 through 21, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, connecting word, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Sometimes we isolate that verse about be quick, 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 quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We isolate it. Guess what? He talks about the word before and after. So what does that mean? I think it means this. That a person is not so defensive when he hears the Word of God. When he hears the Word of God from whatever, a pulpit, spouse, friend, but he doesn't want it. He gets quick to anger. I don't, it's not me. doesn't listen, doesn't consider, and he's quick to respond. Instead of the person who's receiving the Word of God with meekness, meekness, Again, wherever it's coming from, if it's coming from personal devotions or coming from the pulpit or coming from my spouse or coming from a friend, this person, a meek person, will receive it with meekness. They'll listen carefully. They'll consider it because if a person who is poor in spirit, a person who mourns over the fact that they have sinned against a holy God, they know that they're not infinite. They know that they don't know everything that they're not right all the time. That they could be wrong. That I have sin within me. So tell me, tell me, tell me. I'll consider it. I'll listen. Quick to listen. Slow to defend themselves. Do you see it? That's what a meek person does. He's slow to anger. He's considering what he's hearing. Especially when it comes to the Word of God. And he receives it with meekness because this meek person is teachable. Teachable. Always teachable. That's a meek person versus an arrogant and proud person. Now turn to James 3. We'll flesh this out a little bit more. James 3. I'm going to start at verse 13. We're going to see in this text how James calls meekness wisdom and that meekness is reasonable. It's reasonable. 
Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? We're going to read that and we're going to jump down to verse 17. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now jump down. Verse 17, this wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. This is incredible. This is amazing. Did you see it? The qualities of Christian wisdom are the same as the qualities of Christian meekness. And what are those qualities of a wise Christian, a meek Christian? What are those qualities? Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. And when I think about that, I, I, I go back. I go back to chapter 1 about receiving the Word of God in all meekness, throwing off the sin of anger, quick to anger, quick to speak, which is the opposite of being meek and considering and quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger, being peaceable, gentle, and reasonable. That's a meek person. And gang, I've wrestled with both responses. Have you wrestled with both responses? Have you interacted with both kinds of people? Right? There's some people you can't even have a conversation with without them getting angry and super sensitive and defensive right away. But I've also, I've also met so many wonderful meek Christians who are consistently reasonable and they're slow to speak and they'll, they'll listen and they'll learn and they'll consider and then they will respond. Usually, when they're receiving the Word of God and they're evaluating their beliefs and their opinions through the Word of God. They want to consider that. That's a beautiful thing. Cherish it when you're a part of it. I think about my brother pastors and I am so thankful that they are exactly like that. Sometimes the flesh rises up in all of us and we want our opinions to be heard. But that is rare. That's rare because these brothers want to submit themselves under the Word of God. And when we share things, we consider and we evaluate and then we give our responses. But those responses are usually not without reasons that come from the Bible. Do you get it? That's a meek person. And I'm so grateful for these brothers. That they are meek brothers. Same with the elders. Now that's what meekness is. I want to talk about what meekness is not because I think a lot of people get confused about meekness and what it is. Meekness, hear this, meekness is not weakness. It's not weakness. Meekness is strength under control and leaving it to God to deal with. But that's not weakness. Moses. Think about Moses and Jesus. Moses was anything but weak. Do you remember the first time he went up on the mountain and he came back down with the Ten Commandments, those tablets of stone, and he heard all the ruckus? You remember that? They're worshiping the golden calf. He took those tablets, he smashed them. He went down, he made those people grind up that golden calf and drink it. You think that's weak? Or think about our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus, the God-man. He could destroy anyone at any time. 
He's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's calming storms. He could have called down legions of angels when the mob came to arrest him. And yet, he didn't do that. He kept his power under control. And when they reviled him, he did not revile back, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2. That when he suffered, he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And yet this is the same man who pronounced woes against the Pharisees. This is the same man who overturned the tables. Jesus is not weak. But he is meek. So what's the difference? How do you know when to take it on the chin? Versus standing up in the temple and overturning tables. I think this is the difference. When it came to defending themselves, they didn't do it. They rolled it onto God. But when it came to dishonoring God and His name and His truth, you better believe they rose up. One commentator said this. He said, meekness is knowing the right time to be mad. And never mad at the wrong time. <laughs> so maybe as a general rule, we can say we should never get angry when injury is done to ourselves. But it can be right when injury is done to somebody else. That was their definition. So meekness, what it is not. What it is not. It's not a natural temperament or niceness or being laid back, or easygoing, or even soft-spoken. That can be mistaken for meekness. Now why do I say that? I say that because you can have two meek brothers or sisters having a conversation about doctrine or anything like that, and they can differ of opinion when they're talking about the end times, and they can get passionate about what they believe, and they don't venture into ungodly anger where they're slugging each other. They're going back and forth. They're sharing their opinions. They're passionate about Jesus and His biblical truth. And they can still be meek. They can still be meek. Versus two people who might be soft-spoken, never raise their voice, but you have one trying to interject their opinion or interjecting biblical truth, and the other one says, I got my opinion. I got my opinion. I don't need to hear from you. And they say it so nicely with a smile on their face, nice and calm and soft. That's not meekness. That's not meekness. You know why? Because they're not submitting under somebody else, under the truth of God's Word. God's Word coming from God's Word or God's Word coming from somebody trying to interject God's Word? So we've got to be clear on what meekness is and what it isn't. D.A. Carson said some people are born naturally nice and easygoing, but then again, so are some dogs. <laughs> now, here's what we've got to do. Brothers and sisters, meekness is not natural to any one of us. It's not natural. This is the fruit of the Spirit of the living God. You know the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Meekness isn't in there, but it's the same Greek word. And so we need to beg God 
for it, and then we got to do this. One person said, we need to really yoke ourselves with Jesus. Yoke ourselves with Him. Coming from Matthew eleven twenty nine, Take my yoke on you and learn from me. I am gentle, meek, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentle is meek. Meek is gentle. And that day, a young ox would be yoked to an older, experienced ox, and that young ox would get trained. Get trained. So picture yourself yoking yourself with your older brother, your Savior, your friend, your kind Redeemer, your Lord and your Master. Yoke yourself with Him and learn from Him. From Jesus. It's worth it. I don't have much time, but I, want to, I just want to tell you this. Gang, meekness is worth it. You know why? Because the meek will own this world. The meek will own this world. You wonder, what's going to strengthen me? What's going to strengthen me to, to be weak? To face opposition with meekness? What's going to give me strength to persevere? Here's what will give you strength. God promises you the world. He promises you to own this world. And it's only for the believer. Notice the text. Only the meek will inherit the earth. Only the meek. Only the meek Christian will inherit this earth. And it's inheritance two ways. Two ways. You heard me say about the kingdom of God already. Not yet. Brothers and sisters, you remember the Apostle Paul said, yeah, we don't have anything. I think he's talking about material things. And then he says, we possess everything. We got everything, meaning we're saved. We belong to God. He promises the world. He promises. I love what John Piper said. He said, man, you don't need the vain pleasures of one-upmanship. God has already made you an heir of the world. Would I feel the need to brag that my house is bigger than your house if I knew that my father owned the city? And I was the beneficiary in His will. Brothers and sisters, all of us in this room who know Christ, we're going to rule the world. We are heirs and co-heirs, right? Romans 8, 17, that means we get it. Everything that Christ has, we get it. That means the meek will judge the world, 1 Corinthians 6, 2. The meek will judge angels, Paul says right after that. Jesus promises in the book of Revelation, you will rule with me on my throne. The throne that the Father gave to me, brothers and sisters, that's what's coming for us. That's what's coming for us. So beg Jesus to make you more and more weak. We are promised the world. The world. So remember that every, every time you want to fight back, mm, mm, let it roll off. Let it roll off. Let it roll off. Commit your way to the Lord. The Lord will govern all of your affairs. He will work it all out according to the counsel of His will. I want to pray now and I want to ask Him to make us the meekest people and the meekest church so that we're conformed into the image of the meekest man who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus. So Father, we come before You there's a lot underneath this idea of meekness. And it's so, so important. Help us to understand what meekness really is. Help us to learn from Moses. Most 
especially learn from the Lord Jesus. But we acknowledge that we, we cannot do this on our own. Our natural inclination, Lord, is fleshly. To justify, to defend, to not want to listen, to not want to learn, to not want to consider. We want to take matters into our own hands. Oh God, would You help us? Would You help us to trust You? To roll all of the opposition, the things that come against us, to roll them onto You, for You are at our side always. You will work it out. You will take care of it. We don't need to be sinfully angry or fret or defensive or quick to speak, quick to react, short fuse. But only You can produce this work in us. So we're coming before You, acknowledging that there is nothing good in our flesh. Every single one in this room, who will save us from this wretchedness? Jesus will. So would You produce it, Lord? I think if You produce this characteristic in every person in this room, we will be the happiest church on the planet. Happy with one another, working through our differences. So produce it, we ask. We beg, we plead. By the power of the Spirit, by the power of the Gospel, by the power of the Word. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're already placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we hope these messages strengthen your walk with Him. If you don't have a church, we'd encourage you to get involved in one or even come and check out Cedar Crest. But if you're listening and haven't submitted to Christ as Lord of your life, we hope after listening you're convicted to turn from your sin and place your trust in Him so that you may be saved. You can reach out to us at info at cedarcrest.church and we'd love to tell you about Him. God bless you and I pray that you live to make much of Christ.